Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Those are verses 22 and 23 of Psalm 55, which is the psalm appointed for today, Saturday, May the 14th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. I appreciate it. We are continuing our look at the Book of Wisdom today in chapter 7, the first 14 verses, also continuing in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 18 to 35, and then in the letter of Paul to the church at Colossae, or Colossians, um, chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. So the, the wisdom, remember, we, we've, we've seen over the first few days of reading from this book, we've seen the sort of the, the difference and the distinction between the, the righteous and the unrighteous, those who believe in God, essentially, and fear him, and those who do not. And, and the, the mistake of believing the evidence of your eyes alone that that what you see is all there is. And, and the point was that the righteous ultimately get justice, and that is in the long term, in eternity. So now we, we hear Solomon speaking directly here um, about himself and, and sort of laying the groundwork for further points of, of, of contention going forward. So I also am mortal like all men. I might be a king, but I'm no different from you. A descendant of the first form child of earth. I didn't come from some other place. Jesus did. <clears throat> and in the womb of a mother, I was molded into flesh. Within the period of 10 months, compacted with blood from the seed of a man and the pleasure of marriage. It's an interesting way of looking at it, and, and we tend to think of nine months. But you've got to remember the main thing to, to think about here is, is that, that, that uh, the Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar. And so there are more months in the year because every month is 28 days. So he's saying, I was, I was born of the seed of a man and the pleasure of marriage. I, I like this idea of compacted with blood. And so that's what they think about the womb. But what we know is, is that, that we live in, in a different in vitro environment uh, in utero, so in the uterus. So it, it's something completely different. But if you see the discharge at birth, then, then you would certainly say, well, compacted in blood. But I love this from the seed of a man and the pleasure of marriage. I mean, it, it's a beautiful image um, to see that that this is perfectly natural and wonderful is the, the uh, and when I was born I began to breathe the common air and fell upon the kindred earth and my first sound was a cry like that of all I, I'm just like you there's nothing different about me just because I'm a king I was nursed with care and swaddling cloths for no king has had a different beginning of existence there's for all mankind one entrance into life and a common departure. And so what you see is Solomon is embracing his, the fullness of his humanity. He has no illusions about himself, like Pharaoh, for instance, would have had, like other world leaders would have had, who saw themselves as a different sort of species. And that same idea played itself out for a long, long time. And in fact, it plays itself out today. The elites believe themselves to be different and not subject to the same laws as those as the rest of us it used to be called the divine right of kings because you were a king you had to have your position based on divine preference for you and therefore you and what you did made you a god of some sort 
that you were you were uh, you are above the the common uh, man and woman. And, and there's a belief among many that persists today who are in global leadership that they are indeed a different kind of species. And in fact, there's a, a desire that's that's actually being played out in multiple ways for something called transhumanism. And, and that is a way of living forever in some shape, form, or fashion without God being involved. And so the injection of certain kinds of substances, and, and we've, we've perfected some things, and others are, are still under development that, that are intended to extend human life by introducing foreign elements into your body that allow you to overcome weaknesses in the body that would allow you to live for a longer period of time in the hopes that ultimately there will be enough technology advancements that you'll be able to live forever. You just keep changing spare parts and, and keep rearranging things. So he says, so that, it, it, to hear someone like Solomon, who was, who was revered among other kings and queens of the world, speak of this common humanity and say that you know, it, the way Bear Bryant would say it, whenever it looked like his team was outmanned by the other team, he would say they put on their britches one leg at a time just the same as we do. And, and that's exactly what we need to always remember. We need to, to recognize that we are no different from other other people. He says, therefore, I prayed because I was just like everybody else, but I was king. Therefore, I prayed and understanding was given to me. I called upon God and the spirit of wisdom came to me. I preferred her to scepters and thrones and I accounted wealth as nothing in comparison with her. Neither did I liken her to any priceless gem because all gold is but a little sand in her sight and silver will be accounted as clay before her. So it's the same thing that, that he says in Ecclesiastes. If, if you're going to get one thing, if you want to pursue one thing, pursue wisdom. And he says there's only one place from which wisdom comes. When he says, I called upon God and the spirit of wisdom came to me, he's saying there, there's a different wisdom that's available only through prayer and only from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, so, and he says that, that the thing is we've got to set that as the primary goal. Jesus would say, we have to set our sights on heaven. We have to have a single goal. That's the kingdom of God. Praying for it and working for the establishment of it here on earth, knowing that, that we'll never be completely successful. But, but if we wish to see the kingdom of God on earth, then it begins with evangelism. It begins by telling people about Jesus Christ. You have a wisdom in knowing who he is that transcends any wisdom that's available to those who don't know him. You have a different source available to you. He says, I loved her more than health and beauty, and I chose to have her rather than light because her radiance never ceases. So when when he says, I choose to have her more than light, Jesus talks a lot about light and darkness. Paul talks about light and darkness. But what what is it that Jesus says specifically about himself that comes to play here. I, I chose to have her rather than light. Her, because her radiance never ceases. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And it's that light that Solomon's talking about here. All good things came to me along with her, and in her hands uncounted wealth. And that, that would certainly fit in with what Jesus teaches in Matthew 6, when he tells us not to seek those things, but to seek instead righteousness. God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. 
I rejoiced in them all because wisdom leads them. So he learned how to appreciate those things rightly, he says, because wisdom, it was the product of wisdom, godly wisdom. But I did not know that she was their mother. I learned without guile, and I impart without grudging. I don't hide her wealth. And so when Jesus says, do you hide a light under a basket? And that's what he's saying here. He says, I, hey, look, I didn't learn but by some trick, and, and I'm giving to you without grudging because it doesn't cost me anything. And I wish that everybody had that wisdom because everybody has the wisdom. Then the world looks like a different place. He said, I don't hide her wealth for it's an unfailing treasure for men. Those who get it obtain friendship with God, commended for the gifts that come from instruction. And so what we should want is for the whole world to know Jesus Christ because that would change them. The world would be a different place if it had the godly wisdom that only comes through Jesus and through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have a different wisdom. We have access to a, a higher way of thinking about things. What we see is, is that the disciples in, in the gospel is the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John's in prison, and they come and they tell him of everything that Jesus is saying and doing. And John, calling two of his disciples sent to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, if you read commentaries on this, what you'll see very quickly, if you read ancient commentaries, the church fathers, those who are you know, in the first few hundred years, um, people like Augustine, for instance, if you read them and their commentaries on this question that John sends from prison, and, and then you contrast that with modern commentaries, you'll see a radical difference between the two. What you'll see in the, in the church fathers is, is that John was strong in his faith, and his intention in sending the disciples to Jesus to ask this question was one thing so that they would know what John was secure in. He was attempting to say, no longer be my disciples, go be his disciple. If you read modern commentaries, you read the psychologizing that John actually has lost his faith because of his own situation being in prison. So I'm going to go with the ancient fathers. <laughs> and so the men that John sent had come to Jesus. They said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So Jesus says, you want an answer? Here's your answer. Come here. And he starts healing people and restoring sight to the blind. He does all these things to, in the same way that he does with everybody else. He always provides not only a, a verbal response, but he also provides evidentiary proof. And so John's disciples come, they asked him a question, and his first response was to respond with the evidentiary proof. Look, see, see what the evidence of your eyes is. He said, and then he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what he's done in that response is it's the same thing that he did with Satan in the temptations, because the way that he responds is to quote Scripture, Scripture concerning what would Messiah do, and says, you saw all those things, and it fits with Scripture. What does that tell you? Read that scripture from Isaiah and then tell me who I am because you've seen it and you've heard it. 
when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? A shaky little thing out there? No, you, you went out there and saw somebody who was solid, who was not blown about by the winds of, of ideas. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Yeah, that's not what you saw with John, right? I mean, he had a rough raiment of camel hair and ate locusts and wild honey. He says, behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. That's not what you saw. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yeah, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So he's making a statement here about John and himself. He's saying, he's quoting scripture. And saying, John's that messenger that's spoken of in Scripture, but I'm the one his message is about. And so, it clearly, again, pointing himself out to be, I'm the Messiah. And he does so with reference to John and John's ministry as foretold by the prophets. John's not just a prophet. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is greater than he. Seems like an odd statement, but the reality is John was essentially the, the last prophet of the Old Testament because he's speaking of the one who is to come. He sees the fullness of that. He, he gets the blessing of seeing that, but he doesn't know the full story. And we see that in John's message because what he said is, is that he's coming to judge. Nope, you have a better message. You have the message that says he will come again in judgment, to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. However, there's a way to pass through that judgment, and there's a way to be confident that you'll pass through that judgment, and that is Jesus, that his cross, his blood shed, atones for your sin, and the proof that his sacrifice was acceptable to God is the resurrection. He said, and then it's parenthetically after he says that one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, <laughs> it's like, okay, they're not the people. They're, the, they're those other guys, the tax collectors out there. Um, but remember that Matthew had, had had a banquet for the tax collectors and introduced them to Jesus. He says, these people, all of them, declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. And so what they realized was is that their baptism of, of John was a baptism into the kingdom, and they were waiting for this greater thing. That They saw that Jesus affirmed John and his ministry, and, the, and they were thrilled about that, and they declared God just because Jesus affirmed that their baptism was not in vain. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a, sur a dirge, and you didn't weep. In other words, you didn't jump through the hoops. You didn't, you didn't let us call the tune. You, you refused to participate. Yes, because they were hearing a different tune from a different caller, and that caller would be God the Father. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. He's doing, he's fasting, and he's keeping the Nazarite vow, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So no matter what happens, you, you, you deny it. You see it all the time. You see it all the time today 
That's the reason they're two different sides on things, and, and it's the reason people post memes that say, um, "I'm for the for the the current thing." And, and so you see that no matter what you do, and and anybody who's ever led anything in their lives knows this to be true. There are some among the people that you lead who, no matter which way you go, it's wrong. Period. End of sentence. Because they're actually the leader in their own mind. And your refusal to do their will is the biggest problem they have. And and Lewis, C.S. Lewis, was, of course, he's the patron saint of Anglicanism, essentially. He was the one who, who would say things like, there are those to whom God says, there, there, there are those two people who say to God, your will be done. And then there are others to whom God has to say, well, your will be done. They won't bow the knee. Ultimately, they will. And that's the the message of eternity, and it's the message that Solomon has taught us all along in this book of wisdom. In the uh, the Colossians passage today, Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones. He, he's already talked about these are the things you have to put off, right? So he, he, he talked about sin that had to be put away, and he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is who you are. This is your identity. Begin there. Begin with your identity. You're God's chosen. You're holy and beloved. Now we can talk about what to put on because you first got to get your identity right. You have to learn that you're chosen by God, which means you're loved by God. And then then you are the beloved. And once you get that identity right, that you don't have to do a whole bunch of stuff to, to be the beloved, you just are the beloved. Then he says, once you've got that part right, Put on these, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's not an option. No. For you to receive forgiveness and continue to receive forgiveness requires you to be like God, forgiving others their sins against you. And I've said this a million times, and I, and I don't want to miss the opportunity to say it again. There, there are two different things at work, though, in forgiveness. One is um, reconciliation, and that is forgiveness of sins. We are no longer holding something against one another. And then the second thing is restoration. I'm not obliged to allow you back into my life at the place you were before. If I don't see that you have really repented and really taken responsibility for what you've done, then I have no responsibility, correspondingly, to give you that new position in your life, the old position, back in my life. I might have to keep you at a distance going forward, depending on the hurt and depending on where you are with this whole process. And above all these, put on love. Paul's just so consistent about that, right? Um that love is above all things, and the main thing that he wants to see among his uh, churches is the same thing Jesus said, that love should be the thing that binds everything together. It's the same thing John speaks of. It's what every everybody should say. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You, if you Because that's, that's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's saying, if I have this but not this, then no. I'm a clanging cymbal or sounding brass. If I can have all wisdom, all knowledge, all prophecy, all that stuff, but if I have not love, then it's all useless. So seek above all things, he says, to love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And that's a really important thing, because I meet too many Christians over the last two years particularly who've had no peace at all. They've had fear. 
and and God doesn't want us to have that. He gave us a heart that doesn't have anything to do with fear. It, it's it, it's so difficult, but it tells me everything that you believe about the sovereignty of God, whether you have peace or not. It tells me everything that what you believe about God's love for you, whether you're worth it or not. And who's deciding that? Well, you are. Paul's corrective to that is you're God's chosen. He chose you. He didn't, he didn't choose you because of your innate goodness. No, he chose you for some reason that's known only to him. But you are his chosen ones. He chose you to make himself known to you. If you know him, you are his chosen one. You are beloved in Christ. And so that's the peace that we ought to have. We know that he's sovereign over all things, and we know that he loves us. And then finally, he says, be thankful. Be thankful. That should be one of the hallmarks of our worship, and it should be one of the hallmarks of our prayer life. It should define who we are. But we don't think we're worthy. And if you don't think you're worthy, if you, don't, if you don't think that you are the reason God chose you, then you can be thankful for everything, beginning with being chosen. But then everything you receive, you receive thankfully. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you can apply that literally to everything. I used to complain to others and to myself about people in the gym who didn't re-rack their weights when they were done. I still complain about it. My friend Steve Green can attest to that. But we, <clears throat> but one day, I, I was mm, just grumbling to myself about it, and, and I, I really heard the Lord say, do this for my name and for my glory. And I'm thinking, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That couldn't possibly have come from the Lord. And then I began to do it, just, you know, well, why not? <laughs> so I began to do it. And I began to say, Lord, show me how to do this for your glory. And then suddenly I realized some things uh, about myself that, that, wow, you know, I, I should be grateful that I'm able to be in here. I should be grateful that I can afford to be here. I should be grateful that I can do these things, that I have the physical capability of doing it because so many people don't. And I began to do it as a service to God because I wanted to make it easier and better for other people. And then I saw a guy who um, I struggle with, just to be honest with you. Um, I, I have a hard time with him. And I saw him, and my, my first thought was, um, I would go tell him, but he wouldn't understand this. And he, this guy who takes the name of Jesus. And that was my reaction. So I start trying to do things for the glory of God. And, and finally, I get sort of a spiritual breakthrough of sorts. And then immediately, I just weed all over it by judging a brother. We've got to do everything for the love of God and the love of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I could have shared that with him. Who knows? might have made a huge difference for him in understanding the gospel and understanding how we're supposed to live our lives. I'll never know because, well, I blew that moment. Paul says, though, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Maybe one day I'll do that.